Thank you, Mary Catherine. Uh, and and for uh, giving us the context of the the uh, uh, of the the uh, sum as well. Uh, really appreciate that. I want to thank everybody for being here. Um, uh, I know that sometimes on a Sunday morning it takes work to get here, so I just want to say that we appreciate that. Uh, uh, it's good for all of us to be here that, and to spur one another on to love and good works. We're going to be talking. Uh, oh, um, if you are a member. We need you to stay after the service for a little bit because uh, Dennis, who is an elder, uh, was accidentally left off the ballot last week when we voted on elders. So um, technically, he won't be becoming an elder unless we have another vote on that. So sorry about that. That's our bad. Um, and that is no way uh, 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 a slight on Dennis. Uh, just it happened. So uh, administrative. Uh, mess up so uh so please if you are an elder stay after the service and we will be uh we will be motoring through that super quick and uh get you back to the day so um we're con this is the last one in our covenant series um for now not that we're not going to be ever talking about it again but we're going to uh, we're going to be going through a, a little while and, and right now we're last week we talked about the commitments of covenant members who's all of us and now we're talking about our commitments as leadership to people who become covenant members of the church and this is a fair thing to do, right? Because if we're expecting that people are going to be committing to something, then, then there has to be some sort of reciprocity on the other side. That, that, that if you commit to something, that you have fair and expectations of the other person on the other uh, side of the co uh, covenant. And, and, and it's fair for us to have accurate standards of what we can expect from each other, okay? So that when, when, we, when we inevitably come into uh, disagreement and conflict, that we understand how we've done that and what are the rules by which we're going to govern each other so uh, but before we get there I want us to talk uh, I want us to just kind of flow chart our uh, kind of how we believe that leadership works at this church okay because this is different um, from church to church this is a term called polity uh, and, and it's in all honesty incredibly boring um, and it's very confusing as part of church history but this is it, but I just want to show you how we believe that our church leadership works, okay? So obviously at the top of our flowchart of leadership is God. We believe that God is sovereign. We believe that this is God's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not the church of the leadership. It's not the church of, you know, this church belongs to God. So our leadership is only as effective as we are connected to God. And I, and I know that that's obvious to, to a lot of people, but... Uh, it, it ends up not being obvious if you don't pay attention and remind yourself of it uh, again and again and again. So God is at the top. And then the next part, and this is a little bit different for some churches, uh, we believe that, that the congregation, all of us, are the next stage of leadership. Now that's a little bit different, right? So we have what's called a congregational polity. That means that we vote on things like elders. That means that we vote on things like budgets. That means that we vote on things like pastors, okay? Not every church does that, um, but that's how we do things. That's how we've done things as part of our tradition. And, and, and it's not the only way to do it, but we think that it's the, the best way for us. And then from that, we believe the congregation elects and gives direction to elders, okay, who are, if you're an elder, please raise your hand, right? So you, most of you were aware of this last week, but we have elders who we believe that will direct the, serve, the, the, the business of the church and the spiritual direction of the church. And then elders then, um, uh, deacons are a part of that. So, so then elders then give direction to deacons who are in charge of things and, and work things, and then any other committees that we have who are variously in charge of things. So 
So in that little subgroup, you would even get like Wendy's painting crew. She has authority to tell the painting crew what to do when they're painting, right? So that's, uh, you know, um, possibly dangerous, but I think it'll be fun. Um, so this is how... Uh, this is how we work it out in our church. And, and this, this isn't the only way to do it. There's lots of churches that place elders above congregation. They believe that God appoints elders. And th there's lots of different ways to do this. But, but this is the way that we do it. And, and this ends up looking very democratic for us because we do vote on things on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and we have reasons for why we believe that this is the best. I kind of believe it that it's the best because um, I think that the best... I, don't, I, I think that if we have elders above congregation, then elders can get pretty wacky sometimes and, and lacking in kind of governance and, and who, who's watching the watchers, you know, that kind of thing. And if you're wondering where I fit in the realm, and, and the worst one that you get is like the one that just has the pastor on top. Like that, I think that that's a terrible thing, that if all authority just goes through the pastor, be it me or somebody else, I think that's a terrible idea. If you're wondering where I fit in this flow chart, I'm right in this box. I'm one of the elders. I have a different role, you know, and I have and I and I am a a, a, a paid worker here at the church. But that's where I fit in the realm of authority. Okay, so that's how we work leadership, and and that's important because we want to train ourselves to be godly. Again, you're going to be hearing a lot about this over the next year. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And we believe that training ourselves to be godly both involves leadership and it involves congregation. So all of us are in this together, and then we have some people who we believe are mature and able to, to guide all of us along the way. So these are the covenant uh, commitments of leadership to the covenanters, and this is what we're the standard to which we're attempting to hold ourselves. Now, we're going to do the say, same thing as we did last week. We're going to read through them first, and then we're going to go back over them again. Okay? So, we covenant, to and this is the commitment of leaders to y'all. Okay? Um, we covenant to study the scriptures and follow the spirit to lead, administer, and steward in a ma manner that is godly and God-honoring. We covenant to care for you and seek your growth as a disciple of Christ, in part by equipping you for service and praying for you regularly particularly when you were sick. We covenant to provide teaching and counsel from the whole of Scripture. We covenant to be on guard against false teachers and false teaching. We covenant to exercise church discipline in a God-honoring manner when necessary. And we covenant to set an example and join you in fulfilling du the duties as church members. Okay? So there's some themes that begin to emerge as I read through those things. And, and care and equipping are the major themes that begin to emerge in the kind of leadership and care that leadership ought to have for a congregation. And the metaphor that is continually used in Scripture is the meta metaphor of shepherding. That is our job as leadership of the church to shepherd the congregation. Now, I have some problems with that metaphor. One, I don't really know anything about animal husbandry you know like so it's difficult for me to grasp what's going on there the other thing is what i do know of animal husbandry is that sheep are incredibly stupid they are some of the dumbest animals that exist and uh you as a congregation i, I get a little bit concerned about calling you sheep because you are not stupid people right 
You're, you're, you think on your own, and God is speaking to you and working within you. So that is why we place the congregation above the elders in some ways, that we, we expect you to use your brains. When we come to you as leadership, we're not expecting you to stop thinking critically, to stop uh, experiencing and, 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 exp and having God speak to you. We're expecting that, that God is going to be working in and through all of us, okay? We want to guide and care for people, but we are not expecting you, nor do we, nor, and, and if this, ha we're not expecting you to turn your brains off. And if that happens, then we haven't done our jobs, right? And, and we should all be growing towards maturity. So as we look at this, this is really interesting because, okay, the first one is, is, is kind of following, you know, in, in a, you know, using the Bible and working in God, honoring manner. So that's a little bit self explanatory. But when we get to this part, we covenant to care for you and seek your growth as a disciple of Christ in part by equipping you for service, then, then we start to, to, to see what's, what's going on here because we see this here, the verse that we, verses that we use to describe this, that, that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The reasons why the gifts have been given to, the, to us as leaders, the reason why the gifts have been given to you as individuals is that, so that all of us together reach maturity, that all of us together reach fullness, that all of us together reach the level of blessing that we can give to the world, that this, that, that this is what we've been called to do. So... And, and, and that's what we're trying to do is leadership, is to draw out from you what God has planted in you in order that you fulfill your role within the body that brings all of us to maturity. We believe that every person in this room has something to bring to the table of this church. And this church cannot and will not be what God has called it to be until everyone here is bringing their fullness to the table. Now, obviously, everybody's got a different thing to do. Not everybody has to preach, right? That would be terrible, right? That would be awful. And not everybody has to be a part of a painting crew. Not everybody has to be in charge of, uh, uh, of directions because as Teddy so eloquently said earlier, I don't know my right from my left most of the time. Um, I do know north and south. Like if we had of saying like, you know, if we had of saying look to the north and to the south and blink your eyes, I would have known exactly that, but I don't know right and left. I don't know why that works. So there's obviously, as someone who doesn't know their right from their left, things that I shouldn't be in charge of, but some of you do know your right from your left automatically, and you should be put in charge of those things that require uh, directional acumen. Uh, but this is, this is important for us to do. The point of all of these things is that all of us together become what we've been called to be. And, and that is, that is countercultural in our culture because in our culture what we have been, what we've been taught for most of our lives is that the goal of, uh, of every human being is to individually become all that you can be. That I in my silo have to, have to grow all of my gifts as best as I can for my internal benefit. And, and, and that's what we've been taught to do. And there's, 
and there's an element of good in that. I think that we ought to be ambitious, that we ought to, to, to desire to be the best person that we can be. But we lose something when that entirely becomes an individual task, when it becomes all about me and what I can get and what I can gather and what I can accumulate and what I can do and how I can develop individually. Because what God is explaining to us and what he's sharing with us is that we only reach our fulfillment as part of a group as part of a family, as part of a community, that we only experience the, 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 the true fulfillment of who we are as we connect to, to each other as individuals. That, and the point of this is that all of us arrive together at our destination. So we covenant to care for you and seek your growth as a disciple of Christ. We are not content to leave any individual in a place of immaturity. We have all started here and started our journey towards Christ from a place of immaturity. We have, we're, we're, all of us are screwed up and we have desires that are out of whack and we have habits that are out of whack and we have attitudes towards other people that are out of whack. Our hearts are unloving. We can look at scripture and we can find all that. We can we examine ourselves and we know that to be true. But we, and we accept anyone no matter where they start. Wherever you start is where you start. And that is, that is beautiful, and that is something that we are committed to with every fiber of our being as a church. That whoever walks in this door, wherever they come from, no matter what they've done, irrelevant, doesn't matter. Everybody starts at the same, everybody starts walking towards Jesus wherever they are, we don't care. But we're desperately committed to is we're not going to leave you there. And we're not content with someone merely occupying a pew for decades on decades on decades and not experiencing transformation in their heart. If you occupy a pew here for 40, 30, 20, 10 years, and you are angrier than the day that you arrived, we have failed you together as a church and a community. If you are, if you are still as selfish 40 years on from now as you were the first day that you arrived, then we have failed you as a community as a, and as a church. What we are called to do is to bring each other towards maturity. So we want so we need to do a couple of things as leadership, and this is what we're, what we're committed to. We're going to convince you that you have a place in the body, that you have something to bring to the table that is incredibly important and unique and valuable that we need you to give to us. Otherwise, we're not going to be all that we can be. And then we're going to help you find it. Now, naturally, there's going to be disagreement on those things, and that's okay. But... But that is the goal of what we've got to do, is to draw out from each other the best of what we've got and to combine it all together to be what God has called all of us to be in, uh, in, in, this, in this city and in this world. I get, I want to be clear, um, English is kind of a terrible language when it comes to the collective. Like, because we have a you, but you is sort of like, I, yeah, I, I like, and I love the term all y'all. You know, I think that the like I think that the the, the southern U.S. got it right. Like all y'all is just a an, an, a very effective English term that I should just think should just be accepted into the common vernacular, not as a not a, and not looked down on. All y'all, all of all of y'all, I think is an incredibly important thing. So I'm going to just use that term and not be ashamed of it. Um, also. And, and this we want and we agree to pray for you and that's kind of obvious and we need to be a praying church particularly when, when you were sick I want to be clear about this James 4 5 14 and and you guys are pretty good about this but but the the verse says is any of you sick 
then call in the elders and they will come and anoint you with oil and pray over you. And that is what we've committed to do. It's as, as direct a command as you're going to find for leadership in the Bible. So, but here's the deal. You need to tell us when you're sick. And I remember growing up in, in churches and hearing people say, and this hasn't happened here, but I remember hearing people say, well, I got sick and the pastor didn't call me and come over and pray for me. And it's like, did you tell them? No. Well, it's not our job to guess, okay? We, so, uh, I, and, and you guys are pretty good about this, but I just want to make it clear. The responsibility is on the sick person to let the elders know that they're sick, and then we will come and we will pour oil all over you and pray for you. That, maybe we won't do that. That'll, we don't want to weird you out. But, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then we have the next part. We covenant to provide teaching and, and counsel from the whole of Scripture. I feel like we've discussed that enough. Uh, but I want to get to this part, which is important. Now, this is, if you saw this and you were like, Meh, that feels weird, that's okay. It feels weird to me too. But the reason why it's included, that we covenant to be on guard against false teachers and false teaching, is because it's stated over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. And in fact, if you, a, a really helpful thing to do, and I think that we should probably do this together as, as, as church leadership at some point in time, I've done this individually, but is if you actually go through the New Testament and make two columns of one column that says all of the things that God is going to do for the church. Because God, ha God has a column where he says, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this, 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 this. And then make another column of all of the things that, that God has commanded us to do for the church. His column is very big and our column is very small. But one of the things that's included in our very small column over and over and over again is this to be on guard against false teachers and false teaching. And in fact, uh, in the verse that we're talking about in Acts chapter 20, 28 to 31, when Paul is leaving his instructions for the leaders of the church at Ephesus, this is what he says to them. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, warning each of you every uh, night and day with tears. So this is a frustrating thing because what this means and what Paul is saying is that not everyone who claims to follow Jesus genuinely follows Jesus. Not everyone who claims to teach the Bible and Scripture is actually telling you things that Jesus would have you know. It's incredibly tough because we're very Canadian. We want to be polite and we don't want to to say mean things about anyone, and we want to accept people at their word. But the reality is what the Bible is saying, that there's savage wolves out there. So how do we protect you guys from savage wolves? How do we protect ourselves from savage wolves? And this is a complicated thing. And, and so I'm going to share a little bit about my uh, philosophy about how to deal with, uh, with, with, with false teachers and false teaching. And that... Um, and so I'm going to start with this. I'm, I'm going to assume that you are a smart person, or at least as smart as you need to be. I believe that 
Uh, no one in this room is is stupid or without the the wisdom uh, enough wisdom to 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 grasp what God has called them to grasp. Um, so I'm I'm just going to assume that off the bat, and and that approach that means that we're going to have a different approach. In that I am never going to tell you not to read or to watch anything. So some pastors say uh, some pastors have taken this and they said let. Uh, th- this command to protect against false teachers, and they said, okay, so don't read this book by this person. Don't watch this YouTube video by this person. You know, don't, you know, don't, don't do those things. And I'm not going to do that because, honestly, I'm, I've experienced this where as soon as somebody tells me not to do or to read or to watch something, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do or read or watch that thing. Like, I'm just, you know. So I would rather not bring your attention to things that are silly. Um, so, uh, so that just doesn't work. But what I am going to do, and I think that the tack that we've taken with this, is that we are going to teach you consistently and as best we can the truth. As best we can. And we want that truth to be so deeply ingrained in us as a church that when someone says something outside of this it's just not going to jive yeah um and this is a fairly famous story but uh, but and some of you might have heard this illustration before but it's still worthwhile when they're training police officers how to deal with counterfeit bills they don't show them counterfeit bills they don't they don't come up to them and say like here's a counterfeit bill this is all of the different ways that people can counterfeit uh currency what they do is they show them real currency they say, this is what it feels like. This is what it smells like. These are all the, the fine details. Spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours pouring over currency. This is, this is the exact size. This is what the paper feels like in your hand. This is the, the tiniest little bits of printing on it. So they become so intimately familiar with real currency that when someone hands them a counterfeit currency, something just feels off about it. Like this is not, no, I, even if they can't necessarily pick up exactly what's wrong with that currency there's something off you know and they might have to take another 10 hours to figure out oh right it's the the font size on this little part of the thing you know john a mcdonald's nose is slightly out of whack you know um a little bit too red a little bit too many whiskeys that day for john john a mcdonald's um all of the but there's some they they get so familiar with it that if there's something off they can tell I want to do that with the gospel of Jesus Christ for you. So that when someone comes to you and says something or tells you a gospel that is slightly off, you're going to be like, wait a minute, does that, that doesn't really fit, right? So when someone comes to you and tells you that, that in the, <laughs> and this actually happened in the U.S., so, um, and I don't want to make fun of this guy. Actually, I do want to make fun of this guy. But, the, the leader of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency in the U.S., this week said that, uh, that his following of Jesus m- led him to believe that Americans should burn as much coal as they want. Yeah, that is the proper answer to that. Now, I don't know anything about coal production or coal consumption. I don't know, like, I don't know about anything en- about energy policy, and sure, you know, and I don't want to I don't want to assume that this person doesn't know what they're talking about because, because I am not in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency. But I do know that nowhere in reading scripture is there anything that should lead you to believe 
that any group of people should consume coal wantonly or not consume coal wantonly. Scripture doesn't talk about that. It tells us to be stewards of our planet. Now, we can argue about what is good stewardship, what is not good stewardship, but it is not going to tell you anything about coal production or coal consumption, right? So when you hear something like that, that someone says, my Christianity leads me to believe that X, and it doesn't jive with what's in here, you're going to be like, ah, that's counterfeit. That, something off about that right? And I want to build that into you. And it's okay and in fact wise that when someone comes to you and claims to be a follower of Jesus, that claims to be teaching the gospel of Jesus and something feels off about it, it's okay for you to say and think and feel, that feels off to me. You're not a bad person, okay? Because there's a, this really awful thing that exists in the church, that if anybody shows up and holds a Bible and claims to be a Christian, then we're just supposed to accept them at face value. We're not. In fact, the Bereans were considered of more noble character in, 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 the, in Acts chapter 16 because they, 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 uh, because they didn't take what Paul said at face values, but searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Okay? So it is not rude, it is not mean, it is not uh, you are not a terrible person, you're not a terrible Christian, if when somebody says something that sounds off, that you go like, that sounds off to me. Okay? And there are numerous people within the body of Christ that are just trying to make a living off you, that are not trying to point you towards Jesus, that are not trying to bring the entire body to maturity. What they're trying to do is to line their own pockets and to make themselves more comfortable. So it's okay for us to, to distinguish in that. And, and what we're committing to do as we do this is if we see somebody come in with some silly teaching, like if you follow Jesus, then you're going to have all the money that you want, right? If we see somebody that says that, we're th if somebody comes in here and tries to say that, we're going to be like, no, no, you don't. That's not, thank you, but no, that's not true. That doesn't jive with scripture somebody comes in and tries to say something like that, then we're going to step, uh, 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 then we're going to push back against it. But we're going to teach you scripture so clearly that hopefully uh, you notice the difference when it goes off base. So we covenant to exercise church discipline in a God-honoring manner when necessary. Now this is difficult because what scripture outlines is that if a person who is a part of our body and a, and, and, and a fellow believer Continue in, continues in sin, that there are supposed to be consequences for that. And, and we commit as church leadership to follow through with that. I want to be careful, though, and, and admit to you that if we do this in a God-honoring manner when necessary, we are going to be one of the first churches in 2,000 years of human history to do that. It, it just, we do, we, we, we do this badly. But just because we do it badly doesn't mean that we ought not to do it. So what we commit to with you as brothers and sisters is that, is that we are going to assume the best of you. We are going to assume your best intentions. We're going to assume that we're all headed towards the same place together. And when we inevitably fail each other, we are going to do it in a way that, 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 that Scripture has outlined for us. That, that if we have a problem with something that you've done, we're going to come and talk to you. And if we can see eye to eye, wonderful. And if we can't see eye to eye, we're going to come to you with a, another brother or sister. And we're going to fight for unity. We're going to fight for, for, for reconciliation. We're going to fight to be on the same page. 
you know, and and we're not gonna we're not gonna settle for, for we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna sacrifice unity on the altar of a lack of conflict because that's one of the most dangerous things that can happen that, that people can assume that because we're not talking about things that everything's going okay and we all know how poisonous that can be in our own families, right? So we're gonna commit to doing this. I'm I want to repent already because we're probably not gonna do it well. But we're going to do it as best we can, trying to follow Jesus. We covenant to set an example and join you in fulfilling the duties as church members. We're not going to ask anything of you that we're not going to do ourselves. So if we're asking you to volunteer, we're going to volunteer. If we're asking you to give, we're going to give. If we're asking you to, to work, then we're going to work. And that's, uh, and that's basic, and, but, but at the same time incredibly important. We're not... The most dangerous thing that can happen as church leadership is that we start operating this church as if we're here to get something from you, as opposed to remembering and acknowledging that we're here to get somewhere together. That is what we've been called to do, and that place that we're called to go is blessing for us and blessing for the city around us, because that is what God has called us to do, spurring one another on to love and good works as he's called us. So, my ask for you is two things. One, that you hold us to this. That you, that you ingrain this in us and that, you, and, that, and that when we fail at doing this, that you remind us that this is what we've committed to. They're like, hey, you know, uh, uh, I don't know that the, 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 there's elements of false teaching creeping in. I, I don't know that we're being equipped enough. I don't know that we're being trained enough. That's a fair thing for you to do. But I also ask that you give us grace because we're trying to figure this thing out too. And we're trying to, we're, uh, we're going we're gonna to trip and we're going to fall and we're going to stumble and we're going to mess it up. So what we, uh, what we and when we do that, uh, what, I can pro what I can promise you is that when we trip and stumble and fall, we're doing so with the best of intentions. So, but what I'm asking from you guys is one, accountability and second, grace. And it's in that combination of accountability and grace that we're going to find ourselves becoming what God has called us to be and is equipping us to be and is empowering us to be. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are at the top of our org chart. Not because we put you there, but because you are there. And that you are sovereign and can in charge over everything that is happening in this world, over everything that is happening in this church. And we ask that, that you continue to exercise your leadership over this. Help us to follow you well. As you have given us dominion over this small area, we ask that you would, that you would help us to, 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 to care well for the things which you have given us leadership over. And that... And that we would not get arrogant or haughty but that, or, 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 or pull back from each other, but that we would remember that, that what we have been called to is all of us gathering to maturity, that all of us are, are, are being, uh, being what we have been called to be, and that all of us, to, and it's only together that all of us can be who and what you have called to be for the benefit of ourselves and for the benefit of the world in which you've placed us. So, so help us to do that. And as we sing songs, as we meet at your table, guide us again towards the, uh, towards the life that you would have for us. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And there is no greater example of the unity to which we've been called than this table.
Because at this table, there are no leaders. At this table, there are no followers. At this table, there are no employees. There are no employers. At this table, there are no slaves or masters. There are only people that are coming to Jesus. There is only Jesus offering himself and his body and his blood and his forgiveness and his grace. And there is only those of us who have come to this table to be recipients of that. And this table levels out the entire playing field. That there is none of us who are higher than the other, but at this table all of us are equal. All of us are, 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 are equally loved. All of us are equally cared for. All of us are equally called. So we ask that at this point in time that we prepare our hearts to come to this table. If there is a place in your heart that, 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 that is trying to hold yourself above other people or, 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 or believes that you're below other people, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to come in and heal that. Because at this table, you are loved and you are equal with your brothers and sisters and we are all in need desperately of the grace that comes from God. So let's take a minute in silence together. Uh, in preparation for the table.
So if if you're a member, if if you're a member, if you could just make your way, we just really quickly just need to vote on whether or not Dennis is going to be an elder. So it's, it it'll be really quick. Um, so how many how many members do we have? Can you just hold up your hands? We need to make sure we have enough. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten. One, two, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Renee is twelve. Phyllis. Renee and Phyllis, if you could make your way into the sanctuary, that would be appreciated. Renee and Phyllis. You're the next contestant. 